There's a right way and a wrong way to read the word. for it's knocking at the door apologies to keep you all waiting i thought i had a good 65 more seconds before i had to come out <laughs> and i'm gonna be honest with y'all i'm not really sure i'm supposed to be preaching this particular sermon tonight but regardless i'm gonna go forward with it anyway let's open up with the word of prayer lord god hallowed be thy name i thank you for bringing everybody out here tonight and I know that everything is made beautiful in its time. Lord, I pray that we glorify you. And I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice gets something from the sermon. Father God, it doesn't have to be positive in the sense of life changing revelation, but it could be positive in the sense of knowing that something needs to change. Lord God, I just pray that from all of this, the kingdom shall grow stronger that you will be glorified and that we will come closer and closer to you. May we have faith and may we walk as your disciples. We thank you and we love you, Lord. May we never put anything or anyone above you, Lord. In the name of Jesus and in the spirit of truth, amen. All righty. So yeah, this sermon, I didn't really know if I should preach. I went through several iterations of it. The first iteration I just thought would have been straight wrong to preach in a church. It seemed more so like a TED talk or a motivational speech than an actual sermon. And then the second iteration seemed as though I was just calling for controversy, trying to make war with people that I didn't disagree with. But as Charles Spurgeon states, it is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love. According to the tenor of the gospel, let us then be less inquisitive and more practical. Less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. I realized that my sermon wasn't quite in line for that, but I realized all of that today. And not only did I realize all of that today, I realized all of that just mere hours before coming up here. (laughs) Now, if you were here last month, you would know that I was actually in the middle of a series of exegetical explanation of Mark 1 which is just explaining the Bible as it was meant to be read and as it was meant by the authors who wrote it. I didn't have enough time to continue that series. So I'm divulging today, and the title of my sermon is simply, It's Knocking at the Door. Now, this is a sermon that, in its essence, was supposed to be about intrusive thoughts, something that I'm sure all of us have faced before, maybe presently facing, especially coming off of mass isolation in regards to the pandemic And lockdown. That's not even correlation. That's direct causation to an increase in those intrusive thoughts. But I wanted to talk about first why I found it a little bit problematic what this sermon was rooted in being a TED talk in nature. Now, I say this to an extent because of the call of the gospel that pastors are led to hold up to. So firstly, I'm going to read a few verses. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 15 through 18. This will be an ESV if you want to follow along. It reads, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
but avoid irreverent babbling, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Now, the last part's not too important, but it serves as an example that, as I like to say, heresy was present in all ages. Those were just some of the more popular heretical teachers at that time. And I want to quote Spurgeon again before I dive into the explanation of that text. Swords are meant to cut and hack and wound and kill with. And the word of truth is for pricking men in the heart and killing their sins. The word of God is not committed to God's ministers to amuse men with its glitter, nor to charm them with the jewels and its hilt, but to conquer their souls for Jesus. Simply put, the TED Talk like sermon wasn't going to do that. And I'm going to be honest with you. You probably heard a lot of pastors. It may be one of your favorite pastors. Now, when you listen to them, it's awfully entertaining. But, you know, the actual word of God is just kind of like a, a side dish. Many times they'll read the word and this is not the best way to read it. But they'll try and insert themselves into every situation. I'm going to keep it a buck with you, people. A lot of the word of God is not about us specifically. See, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents. Not all of those documents were written with us as the people in mind. But some people will ignore that and try and put us into it anyway. That's slick, what I may have been getting at. You'll find individuals that can be very humanistic in teaching. And now I'm about to rant again, so let me try and stay on track. Point is, <laughs> point is to focus on the word for the building of the kingdom. And there's three things to keep in mind, especially if you want good hermeneutics. But before I say that, I'm reminded of two ministers. One of them is Paul Washer. You may know him, megachurch pastor. Another one is a YouTuber of the channel called Smart Christian Channel. And he is a smart Christian, to be fair. And both of them, when asked the question of what do you think is the biggest vulnerability in the church, stated something fairly similar. Paul Washer stated that it was the pastor's leadership. The Smart Christian Channel fellow stated that it was hermeneutics, how we read the Bible. And that's especially amplified with leadership. Because if you have leaders that can't read the Bible, yet they're putting these teachings on their followers, then you get followers who can't read the Bible. And even if these followers may, may check it over, you know, reading the word on their own, how many of them don't? And even just sitting there, even if you don't go and follow how the pastor reads, you're still getting their interpretations of things. And simply put, there's a right way and a wrong way to read the word. But firstly, these three things are especially key for hermeneutics, not getting into too much specifics. But enough time, make sure that you're not controlled by your biases open mind. Sometimes we'll insert our own ideals into the scripture. It has to say this. It can't say that as opposed to what it actually states. And proper sources. To keep it completely honest, your translation may just sell you out of the proper understanding of God. You have translations such as the Passion Translation or the Message Translation. They're very popular translations, but I'm going to be honest with you. They're not translations. They don't actually translate the word of God. One of them is a hefty paraphrase that really rewords things. That's the message translation. And if you look at scholars that will actually compare it to the Greek, it's not valid. If you look at the Passion Translation, it's a guy who claims to get real revelation from God about the word that nobody else has gotten. They're not translations. If you look at the word from these perspectives, that will sell you even if you have everything else hermeneutically down. Looking at time. Even if you have proper sources, even if you are clear from your biases, if you're rushing through it, odds are you're going to make some mistakes. 
This is a lifelong walk. You got to take your time with it. You got to soak and meditate in the word. Spend time memorizing and understanding the word, not just skimming through it as fast as you can. And I mean, my dad has mentioned it in the past. I put him on with reading things at higher speed. And when I'm listening to audiobooks, sometimes I could go as fast as three times speed. If it's a really slow speaker, 3.5. But when it comes to the word, I have to slow things back down so that I'm not just getting through it as fast as I can. So that I'm not just saying, you know, I read the Bible three times this year and I didn't understand any of it. (laughs) And then, of course, there are those biases. Try and stay clear of them. I can't really tell you to do it perfectly because let's just be honest, we're human. We all have biases, and the biggest ones to look out for are those subconscious ones. Because you can consciously try and hold back your biases, but subconsciously they slip through. So you just have to look out for those especially. Some good resources to enhance your Bible reading experience would be the tool Logos. You can read it with the English and the Greek side by side, so you get the original text as well as the older one. And continuing on further, there's also commentaries that you could look at. I want to actually quote a commentary about this. And this is interesting because this is all like the preface to my sermon, but it's about as long as the main sermon. So Enduring Word states that man's opinion, man's teachings, man's opinion polls, man's stories, man's programs are all profane and idle babblings compared to the simple word of God. When these things become the focus of the message from the pulpit, it will increase to more ungodliness. Continuing on, I'm going to actually jump into intrusive thoughts. That was a very long preface. <laughs> but that was why I was so worried about having a Ted talky s sermon. They're popular. They're entertaining. They sound really good and they'll make you feel good, too. They have a lot of practicality, but in a pulpit, are they really meant to be preached? Especially if the word is distorted to make them come about. So we're talking about intrusive thoughts. Firstly, let's define what intrusive thoughts actually are. Intrusive thoughts are unwanted, spontaneously occurring thoughts, images, or ideas. And you can identify them if the definition is not specific enough with, as Harvard Medical points out, these three things. The thought is unusual, the thought is bothersome, and the thought is hard to control. I remember years ago, whenever I had first stumbled across the passage, they stated that the one unforgivable sin was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I read it in the most surface level way I possibly could. And for the next 50 minutes or so, I had to use all of my mental focus and effort to clear my mind and make sure that my mind didn't just utter a blasphemy. (laughs) The thing is, though, these intrusive thoughts aren't necessarily sinful, just at a base level. There's a bit of nuance that can come in to make them sinful, but just at a base level, they're not necessarily sinful. God knows that we have these things, and many times they aren't controllable. When you look at Psalms 94, verses 9 through 11, it reads, He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. They are but a breath. So he knows our thoughts. But not only does he know our thoughts, he knows our intentions. He knows our heart. And that's where a bit of the separation comes in. As First Chronicles 28 verse 9 states, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, 
it will cast you off forever. So simply put, the difference between it being unsinful and sinful be that intention. The Lord knows that the evil want to blaspheme him. The Lord knows that the evil will hate him very literally and want to go against him. But the Lord also knows when it's just an accidental slip up that's not even in your control, when your mind is seemingly going haywire and you can't do anything about it, that is not sinful. Continuing on, you may be wondering, what do you do about that then? Because sometimes what makes it sinful isn't even necessarily hating the Lord, but it's inviting things into your surroundings, into your mind, that will lead for these intrusive thoughts to come about. What you can do is surround yourself with things that are holy. As Philippians 4 verse 8 states, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This sounds like an action, but not only to think about these things, but to surround yourself with them. Because there's a difference in what comes to your mind when the last thing that you look at before you go to bed is the word versus the last thing you look at before going to bed is a horror movie on a top 10 scariest movie list. You can't really complain whenever you have a nightmare after watching one of those. Let's be honest. So it becomes a matter of controlling your surroundings, making sure that you're inviting the Lord into your spaces, not just with a verbal declaration, but with your actions, living wholeheartedly in the Lord. And continuing on further, that's one solution, but I want to provide a few others. Another potential solution is confession. Because, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes when we have these thoughts, we think of ourselves as the worst person in the world. We think of ourselves as evil, decrepit, and I mean, whether it's true or not is not what I'm arguing. But the point is, through that confession, you oftentimes find relief. I mean, not always. Yesterday, I vented to an individual over text message, and I'm, I'm still on scene to this day. But <laughs> it can help. Even if you don't get a response, just to let it out, to express it. You could do it in your mirror. You could do it to your pet, whether it's a dog or a fish. I'm sure they'll appreciate the attention. <laughs> Other than confession, it's preparation and meditation. Preparing your mind, knowing that this is very well a possibility. And meditating not just to clear your mind, but to mediate your emotions, your mental and spiritual state. Prayer, simply put. Continuing on, there's acknowledgement, which you may have thought I should have put that first, but not necessarily. Acknowledging that these things exist and when they occur to you, acknowledge what it is, an intrusive thought. Acknowledge what it is. It's not of God. And I mean, it may not necessarily be a demon attacking you. Some people will jump all the way to that conclusion. Sometimes it's just our body's natural reactions. I really can't explain it. I'm not a psychologist, but acknowledge it and go on. And lastly, forgiveness slash acceptance. Not just acknowledging it, not just venting about it, or not just trying to pray it away. But sometimes when these things occur, we live in some sense of shame or guilt perpetually for things that aren't even our fault, for things that aren't even sinful or necessarily against God because of them occurring. Forgive yourself. You, <laughs> Literally, forgive yourself. It's not in your control. And when you seek the Lord, I mean, you're forgiven for all the other sins. Why are you holding this against you? And it's not even a sin. I know that these things can hold us back and can hold us down. But in truth, it's nothing to really stress about. This sermon was mostly a prelude and preparation. But still, I hope that you got something out of it. Whatever it may be, whether it's to read the word differently because each part of the word is to be read differently. Some parts are addressed to us. 
Some parts are love stories like the Song of Solomon. Some parts are decrees to all Christians. Some parts are recapping the laws, what we ought or ought not do. Other times are condemning a certain group of people. Read the word in its context and understand the story as a whole. I thank you and I love you. I hope that y'all have a wonderful night and pursue the Lord. Keep the word on your heart. Keep it close because that word will keep you strong. Have a wonderful night, everybody. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was the message titled, It's Knocking at the Door, by George Bronner. This message is number 4112, that's 4112. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4112 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because, brother, you need the word. Oh,